I'm up here going to introduce our fourth theme for Lent. So this week we're going to be fasting from distraction. And I don't know about you, but usually the first thing that I do when I wake up is I grab my phone, I check it, and then it follows me to breakfast, and then it follows me to my quiet time. And so as with anything in Lent, we're not talking about self-discipline and just putting screen time locks on our phone. It's about choosing to set aside things that take away our intimacy, take us away from the Lord. So whatever that is for you, whether that be social media, video games, Netflix, we're asking that you fast from that this week. We're asking that rather than indulge in those things, that you would pursue intimacy with the Lord. And I know that this week is going to be a hard one for many of you, probably especially millennials and younger generations. Um, So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray Psalm 63 over us this morning, and then Randy will get up to teach. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with, the, with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Amen. Good morning. If we have not met, my name is Randy Binkley. I'm a part of the the teaching team here at LCF. Probably been doing that about 19 years. I am not on staff here. I'm an IT guy with uh, Liberty Public School System. Or probably more importantly, I am the uh, husband of Sharon, the father of Michelle and Ryan and Chris, and the grandfather of Palmer, Eleanor, Caroline, Quinny, and June. Dr. David Jeremiah, in his book, Forward, recounts the story of a young man named Walter Ospoff. Just months before America entered World War II, a young Marine from Ohio named Walter Ospoff boarded a DC-2 transport plane. He and several other Marines took off on a routine parachute jumping exercise as pilot Harry Johnson headed aloft into the beautiful blue San Diego sky. Nine men jumped from that plane, and then disaster struck. Walter was standing near the jump door when his ripcord caught on something and deployed. His chute flew open, and he shot from the plane like a rocket, hitting the side of the aircraft. The impact broke two of his ribs and fractured three of his vertebrae. As Walter plunged towards the ground, all of a sudden he was yanked to a stop and then jerked backwards. His parachute had wrapped around the plane's wheel, and the hapless Marine found himself dangling 15 feet below the plane's tail. He was literally hanging by a thread, and then it got worse. The chute's chest strap and one leg harness had broken. So Walter was dangling in midair, upside down, suspended by a single strap, which had now slipped down to his ankle. His weight was putting tremendous pressure on the plane, and Johnson struggled to keep from nosediving. Furthermore, Johnson had no radio contact, and the other men in the plane could not reach their buddy. 
So the dangling marine, injured and terrified, kept his eyes squeezed shut against the rushing wind. Blood dripped from his helmet. He was stuck and facing certain death. Walter was in a hopeless situation. Anybody here this morning feeling like you're in a hopeless situation? Hope is our expectation for the future, our anticipation of what's down the road. The last time I stood up here and taught was February of 2020. The Chiefs had just won the Super Bowl. The economy was strong and robust. Unemployment was at record lows. And then came March. And I don't have to tell you the rest, do I? You can fill that in. This year has probably left many people feeling a a little like our Marine Walter, hanging on by a thread and concluding maybe there is no hope for a good outcome here. I want to pose the question this morning, where do you go when you have lost hope? I mean, you want to have it. You just can't find out how to get it. Your mind frantically races through a thousand different scenarios and possibilities, but not a one of them seems even remotely close to a good outcome. For many people this last year, things like worry, anxiety, and fear have been constant companions. There is no doubt we have lived through a year of uncertain times, where the fear of loss or failure or financial collapse or disease or even death seems to follow us daily. And these fears can be crippling, and they can keep us from living the life that God has called us to live. So the question of the day, where do you look for hope when you're surrounded by darkness, when things look hopeless? In Luke 5, 17 through 26, we're going to look this morning at a story of a man who began this story without any hope. But a man who ended this story filled with hope excited about his future, and blessed beyond his wildest imagination. And I think God recorded these words not just to inform us about something that happened 2,000 years ago, but also to teach us something about how we live with hope today. So let's take a look at this this morning, and as we look at this, let's remember these are not my words, these are not your words, these are not another person's words, these are the words of God. So out of respect for that, I'm going to ask you to stand as we listen to the words of God. Luke 5, 17. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying a man on a stretcher who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him. But when they did not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and they led him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began thinking of the implication, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who could forgive sins except God alone? But Jesus, aware of their thoughts, responded and said to them, Why are you thinking this way in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. 
But so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, go home. And immediately he got up before them, he picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. And they were all struck with astonishment, and they began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. You may be seated. I think there's a couple things we can learn from this passage. The first one is, you know, you find hope when you take your need to Jesus. You find hope when you take your need to Jesus. This man had a need for physical healing. He was paralyzed. He was unable to walk. And he decided that he needed to take his need to Jesus. Now, he didn't have to do that. He could have taken his need other places. He could have taken his need to the local doctors, to the best medical schools of the land. They could have run tests. They could have had appointments. But the best doctors of the day didn't have the ability to make his legs work. He could have taken his needs to the, the wisest and the wealthiest people of the day. But the wisest and the wealthiest people of his day couldn't make his legs work. He could have concluded... I have no hope. This will never change. He could have given in to despair and depression and discouragement and done nothing. But he didn't. He decided to take his need to Jesus. Can I ask you, where do you turn when that need jumps into the path of your life? When you're in that place where it looks hopeless. Many people when they start to look for hope in a hopeless situation, start by turning to themselves. I. Uh, if it's going to be, it's up to me. i got to figure this out. i got to make it work. i got to come up with something. I better do something. I better think of something. And so they look to themselves. Sometimes people look for hope in others. The latest self-help guru, the latest fad, the latest book, the popular YouTube celebrity, the podcast guy. Sometimes people look for hope in their careers. They go, this is a mess and I don't know the way out, but maybe if I just really throw myself into my job and my work and, and maybe if things are going good there, life will make sense and we'll figure out a way through this. Some people turn for hope to their bank accounts, their savings and their investments, and they think, well, I don't know what to do, but maybe if I can just get enough numbers, if I can get enough zeros in these accounts, then surely I'll have hope and, and this, this will work out. Some turn for hope to the government. You know, we elected leaders and they're supposed to lead, so they'll go, they'll put their heads together. Surely they'll pass some laws, they'll come up with some programs that'll make my life better, that'll give us some, some hope. Some put their hope in the government. Others look for hope to the experts. Have you noticed the experts have been talking a lot this year? You know, they're always quoted. Experts say... So they, they think, surely there's smart people in universities, there are scientists out there somewhere who are going to come up with some new discovery that's going to give me hope in my life, that's going to solve these problems. Where do you turn first when you have a need, when you need hope? You know, when we put our hope in something other than God, there's actually a word in the Bible that describes that. Do you know what that word is? <clears throat> idolatry. Idolatry. Idolatry is when we're putting our hope in something other than God. So let me go ahead and just give you the, the, the real quick and skinny on idolatry. 
The thing about idolatry is it will fail you and disappoint you every time. Idols have a really slick sales pitch. They promise you the world, but at the end of the day, their deliverable is always the same two things, disappointment and regret. Idols have a 100% failure rate. In contrast to that, you have Jesus. Jesus, who had the audacity to stand before his followers and the world and to proclaim in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said the reason we can find, you can find hope in me is that I am the source of truth. You know, hope is not a magical quality in and of itself. Hope is only as good as the source of your hope. Hope connected to the right source is life-changing. Hope connected to the wrong source is life-crushing. The reason you can and should put your hope in Jesus is because he is the source of truth. A wise man once told me that everyone in this world answers the question, where do you find truth, in one of three ways. One place people look for truth is in self. This is the big I. They try to find eternal truth by staring at the guy in the bathroom mirror. Truth will be what I think it is. Wrong will be what I decide it is. Nothing outside of me can tell me what is right or wrong. I get to make this up as I go, depending on what I feel like at any given moment. Their source of truth is self. Others look for truth in society. This is not the big I, this is the big us. They say, well, I might not be the source of truth, but surely if we get a majority of the people together, that would be the source of truth. So the social norms, the laws of the land, the court decisions will guide us to truth. People in this category find truth in consensus, in the majority opinion, in what most of the people around me are doing. A third place you can look for truth is sovereign Lord. And if you're a Christian, you know that true truth is found here. You hear the words of Jesus in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the truth, and you respond by saying, yes, you are. So as a Christian, your answer to the question, where is truth found, you answer that by saying, it's found in my sovereign Lord. And he has written down his words. We have the very word of God, the Bible, so there's really no reason to miss it. He's given it to us. And when you understand this, this principle, it really explains why people have so many different worldviews on issues today. Have you noticed it seems like today if you got a thousand people in the room and ask them for their opinion on something, you'd end up with a thousand different answers? Very fragmented today. But if you understand that people find truth or search for truth in one of these three areas, really helps you understand some of the discussions and conversations. Where you find truth makes a big difference. Allow me to illustrate with an area. So I'll pick one that's kind of a hot topic these days. Let me illustrate with the area of human sexuality. If my source is sovereign Lord, if that is my source of truth, then from God's word I see that human sexuality is a good gift from God that it expresses itself in a loving relationship between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. That's what it is. That's how it works. How do I know that? Because God's word says so, and it's true. 
But what if I answer that question and my source of truth is self? Well, then it's going to look different. If that's my source of truth, then I will probably conclude that human sexuality is just a source of selfish pleasure. And I will do whatever I want, whenever I want, regardless of how that hurts or impacts others, because it's all about me. And I will become a narcissist and a hedonist, and I will deny myself nothing while lying to myself and telling myself that this kind of behavior will have no negative consequences in my life. And the problem with that is that is a false theory of human sexuality, and at the end of the day, it just doesn't work. You see, they started with a false source of truth, and they ended with a false theory of human sexuality. Well, what if my source of truth is society? What if that's where I'm looking for truth? If that's my source of truth, then the social norms of the day, the laws of the land, they will show me, they will guide me to what is right and what is wrong. So if society says that sex outside of marriage is okay, well, then that must be okay. If society says that marriage can be between something other than a man and a woman, pick whatever numbers or variations you like, well, then that must be okay. If society says you may have been born a male, but your sexual identity is nothing more than a personal preference, and you can change your mind on that one as many times as you like, well, then that must be okay. But the problem with that approach is that is a false theory of human sexuality, and at the end of the day, it just doesn't work. Once again, they started with a false source of truth and ended with a false theory of human sexuality. Jesus said, the reason you can find hope in me is because I am the source of truth. I am the way. I am the life. And the reason you can and should put your hope in Jesus is because he is the source of truth. So when we take our needs to Jesus, we can find hope. If we want to live hope-filled lives, we need to learn the skill set of taking our needs to Jesus first, not last, quickly, not eventually. Because he's really the only one who can do anything about it, right? You find hope when you take your need to Jesus. The second thing I see out of this passage is you find hope when you allow others to help you. This man needed some help from his buddies to carry the stretcher. This man believed Jesus could help him, and you know what? His buddies must have believed that too, because you don't volunteer for a job that you think is a dead end. In verse 20, it's interesting. It says, Jesus saw their faith. Notice that's plural. Jesus didn't just see the faith of the man in the stretcher. He saw the faith of the buddies carrying the stretcher. And he chose to intervene, and he was moved to action on behalf of that man. You know, these are the kind of friends you really want to have around you. Can I ask you, do you have a a group of people around you like that? Do you have friends that would be carrying you towards Jesus? Or away from Jesus. For about the last seven years, I got a group of guys. Friday mornings, we meet at 6 o'clock. Usually we've met in person. This year we met through Zoom. Just wake up early, get together with some coffee. We open God's Word. We, we talk about God's Word. We talk about our lives. We talk about what God's doing. And we could all enjoy a little extra sleep. But, but we get up and we do that because we all believe we really need each other. That if if we are going to become the people that God wants us to be, we believe we need each other. And and we see that as we do life together. In this story, if I was the guy in the stretcher, 
the other Friday morning guys would be the guys carrying the stretcher. In this story, if one of my other Friday morning guys was in the stretcher, I'd be the guy carrying the stretcher. And I just, I just want to ask, do you, have, do you have that in your life? Do you have a place where that's happening? Well, you got brothers, you got sisters, and you're, you're going hard after Jesus, and you're doing it together. You're stretcher carriers. If, if you don't, maybe your takeaway from this morning is you leave and you think, you know, I need to do that. I need to find that. I need, I need to find a group like that and join it, or I need to start a group, you know, with some other people who need that. But this guy had friends who had faith, and they carried him towards Jesus. Not only did his friends have faith, they had perseverance. They didn't give up easy. You know, the half-hearted friend would have said, well, you know what, we tried. Big crowd today. Maybe we need to try again next week. Why don't you just tell us when Jesus comes back in town, and we'll try one more time later. Not these guys. They had faith, and they had perseverance. You know, it's easy and it's tempting to be a quitter, isn't it? I tried a new thing. I tried a hard thing. It was new, and it was hard, and all of a sudden, any obstacle, any excuse instantly becomes a convincing argument to quit, to give up, to go home, to say later, it's just too hard right now. Have you added the quality of perseverance to your faith? For these guys, plan A wasn't working, so they came up with a plan B. They got creative. They got flexible, kind of like all of us have had to do this past year, right? (laughs) Verse 19, they made a hole in the roof. They invented the first elevator, and they still hold the patent to that to this day. I don't know if that's true. It's probably not. They got that man to Jesus, and that man's world was changed forever. But that would not have happened without a little help from his friends. It's true that God is the source of our hope, but it is also true that God will often use others as a means of delivering his hope. So as we turn to God in hope in our life, for hope, we need to be willing to turn away from things like self-sufficiency and pride and isolation. I have one grandchild that when you try to help them with something, usually says, I can do it myself doesn't want your help. I have five grandchildren. Someone came up to me after first service and identified that grandchild. (laughs) Nailed it. Sometimes we're kind of like that. You know, we just don't want to open ourselves up to the help of others. But when we do that, we really are cutting ourselves off from a very important tool that God often uses to bring hope into our world, others. So to find hope, you need to say yes to living in community. To find hope, you need to say yes to living with humility. Because God will often use our brothers and sisters in strategic and significant ways to help position us in front of Jesus, to help us get to the place of receiving God's blessing, His forgiveness, and His healing. You find hope when you allow others to help. Third thing I see here is you find hope when you receive and unwrap God's gift for you. So they lowered the man in front of Jesus, and everyone in the room knows exactly why that man was brought to Jesus. And Jesus blows it. He says the wrong thing. He says, your sins are forgiven. What? Come on, Jesus. Are you blind? Do you not see the guy's need? 
He's on a stretcher. He can't walk. He's not coming asking forgiveness. He's coming asking for physical healing so we could walk. Was Jesus confused here? Did he miss his cue? No. He was right on task. What was the purpose of Jesus' physical healing miracles? Physical healing was a demonstration of the authenticating credentials of who he was, the very Son of God, the only one who could do something far more difficult than a physical healing, the only one who could do a spiritual healing of the soul, the one who could heal sinful men and women and restore them to eternal fellowship with their loving Heavenly Father. The point of this story is not about physical healing. It's about spiritual healing. That's why Jesus led with your sins are forgiven. People have struggled to understand this. They did in Jesus' day. They also do today. In John 6, Jesus feeds 5,000, and the people were so short-sighted and missed the point that they thought, this is great. We've got a new king. Jesus is the burger king, and he's come to end world hunger. And Jesus says, uh, no, you've, you've missed the point. I did not come to be the Burger King and end world hunger. I came to be the savior of the world who would provide the one and only final solution to the problem of sin and death. I came to save men and women and show them the way to become beloved children of God. The miracle served one purpose, to authenticate his credentials as the son of God. And it's wonderful that God is generous. It is wonderful that God answers prayers, that he miraculously provides in times of need but we need to be careful not to exalt the gift above the giver of the gift. Don't forget the giver as you enjoy the gift. Jesus' big point in this story is where you are broken, I can make you whole. If you think this passage is about Jesus physically healing our physical needs, I would submit to you, you need to keep reading it because you've missed the point. This is so much bigger than that. Jesus is saying, I can do, if I can do something as easy as healing a man's physical body for 20 years or more of walking around this earth and believe that I can heal the greater need of restoring a broken relationship with your heavenly Father for all of eternity, they brought faith and Jesus said, I see that and I will heal and I will forgive. Welcome to the family of God. This man came asking for the ability to walk, but Jesus gave him so much more than that. So much more. Jesus said, I will give you that temporary healing that you're asking for. But more important than that, I see your faith and I will also give you a permanent healing. I will forgive your sins and give you eternal life. I'll restore your relationship with your heavenly Father. And when this temporary body wears out, I'm going to give you a new, eternal, glorious body, a body that will be incapable of aging, that will never know illness. It will never know injury. It will be eternal in scope. It will never face death. It will never face decay. It'll be mobile. You can pass through doors and ascend into the air, and yet you can still enjoy a good meal and a good hug of your loved ones. You'll be able to use it to serve God with your new assignment in the kingdom of heaven. And yes, you're going to get a new assignment, a way to serve God in heaven. And it's okay, he says, to look forward to that. It's okay to anticipate heaven. It's okay to anticipate your eternal body. But these are our temporary bodies, and we are thankful for them, aren't we? But these are temporaries. And if the Lord doesn't return before them, one day all of these bodies will end with illness or disease or injury, and these temporary bodies will see their last day. 
But for the child of God, that's not your last day. Actually, that's your first day. That's your first day in the presence of Jesus himself, standing in your new glorious eternal body, worshiping with all your brothers and sisters in Christ before the throne of God, getting a tour of your new heavenly home built by a master carpenter. This man came to Jesus asking for the ability to walk, but he got so much more than that, so much more. You find hope when you receive and unwrap God's gift for you. Fourth, you find hope. When you find hope, it changes you. When you find God's hope, it changes you. Verse 25, it says, He picked up his mat, and he went home glorifying God. Verse 26, the people around him were going, This is astonishing, and they were glorifying God. This is remarkable. God's hope radically changes us, both in the situations where God chooses to alter the circumstances and in the situations where God chooses to alter us in the midst of unchanged circumstances. In both of those scenarios, God is sovereign, God is good, and God is at work. Putting your hope in God results in a positive attitude about your life. You can be positive about God's love for you. You don't have to wake up every day wondering if God loves you. You understand the cross. And when you understand the cross, the answer to the question, does God love you? Yeah, that is definitively answered. We don't need to question that anymore. The answer is a great big yes. And you can live that way. You can be positive about God's plan for your life. There's a reason you're here. There's an important role you have to play in the kingdom of God. You can speak positively to yourself. Did you know that God knows all of the junk in your life, and he just says, I'm going to forgive that. I'm going to love you anyway. And if he can do that, you can do that too. And not only for yourself can you speak positively, you can speak positively to others because God knows all the junk in their life. And he says, I can forgive that, and I'm going to love them. And if he can do that, we we can do that too. We can be positive even in times of crisis because we know that these trials, are, they're temporary, they're short term, but my eternal abundant life is forever. Being filled with God's hope does a radical reset of our entire lives perspective. And it even shows up on your face. I don't know how you can be a Christian and, and walk around, you know, kind of prune-faced. I don't, I don't get that. Because when the hope, the living hope is in your heart, friends, that's got to overflow. That's got to bubble out. You can't contain that stuff. It should change how we view life. We can be positive about life because of the living hope that lives in our hearts. And that will glorify God. You'll be like our formerly paralytic friend. You're going to be walking down the street. You're going to be carrying your sleeping bag. You're going to be grinning from ear to ear, talking to everyone that you meet, saying, can I tell you the amazing things that Jesus Christ has done for me? I just got to tell you this. This is unbelievable. You won't believe it, what God has done. When you find God's hope, it changes you. Well, I didn't finish the story of Walter, did I? Let's pick that up. So we pick up with Walter. He's hanging by his ankle behind an airplane, pulled behind a plane by the cords of his parachute, which were entangled in the plane's wheels. The pilot, Harold Johnson, was running out of fuel, but he knew an emergency landing would kill Walter. Johnson descended to about 300 feet above the ground and started circling the airbase. Most of the people who saw the plane just thought it was towing some piece of equipment. But not one guy. One pilot, Lieutenant Bill Lowry, glanced up and instantly knew what was happening. 
spotting a nearby Marine named John McCants, Lowry shouted, there's a man hanging on that line. The two jumped into a Sock 1, which was a two-seat open cockpit plane. They took off without even knowing if the aircraft was fueled. Suddenly, everyone on the ground realized the nature of the emergency, and every eye was transfixed in the sky. There were no radios on the planes, but Lowry hand-signaled Johnson to head out towards the Pacific. The two planes rose to an altitude of 3,000 feet. The Sock 1 maneuvered beneath the larger plane. And McCants stood upright in that rear cockpit seat, lunging, trying to grab Walter. He finally grabbed him and pulled him in to that tiny seat in the back of that small aircraft. But the problem was Walter was still attached to the harness, and now both planes really were in mortal danger. Somehow, by the grace of God, Lowry inched his plane closer and closer to that large DC-2. He actually bumped it. But in the process, the propellers sliced through the remaining cords of Walter's parachute and freed him. That's the good news. The bad news, the cords, the cut parachute cords now became entangled in the Sock 1's rudder, and Lowry was struggling to maintain control of the plane. Somehow, he did, though. And when it landed, a roaring shout came from the crowd. They had just witnessed what would later be called one of the most brilliant and daring rescues in naval history. And as for our hapless Marine Walter... He spent six months in the hospital, and as soon as he recovered, he went right back to work, jumping out of airplanes. Due to the courage and the quick thinking of some fellow Marines, Walter's hopeless situation was changed. Instead of a tragic ending, a brilliant and daring rescue was executed. And in Luke chapter 5, Jesus pulls off a pair of daring rescues. Last week it was a leper. This week it was a paralyzed man. What is the common denominator? Both men had no hope, but they found hope. So once again, where do you need to experience God's hope this morning? Jesus is still in the business of pulling off daring rescues for hopeless people. That's just who he is. That's what he does. Now, biblical hope is not wishful thinking, it's not lucky chance, it's not ungrounded optimism. It's a rock-solid belief in the character of God. That's not to say that we're guaranteed rose bushes without thorns or a life free from tragedy or disaster, but because we know that God is all-knowing and all-powerful and He loves us and is for us, we can face our fears and we can trust the outcome of our circumstances to Him. That is the belief out of which biblical hope flows. And I'd encourage you not to leave this room this morning without hope. Of course, to, to find hope, you need to know Jesus. Earlier in the service, you saw some people go through the baptism. You can get online, you can read the testimonies, and all of the stories will have a common theme. It's, it's their stories, but it's also the story of everybody in this room who is a believer in Jesus Christ, and it goes kind of like this. I was trying to do life on my own. It didn't work. I found out who Jesus was. I invited him into my life, and God has changed my life, and now I am a beloved child of God, and I've got hope for the future. And if you're here this morning, or if you're listening at home, and you've been thinking about this Christianity thing, you've been checking it out, not been sure about it, I'd just like to let you know, did you know that that story I just described, that could be your story this morning? 
Today could be the morning that you become a child of God. Everyone who was baptized here had a day where they chose to believe. And that was the day they became a child of God. This could be your today. That could be your story. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a minute when I close in prayer to to pray a prayer and choose to believe, to choose to become a Christian. If you'd like to do that, I'm going to give you that opportunity. If you've been looking everywhere else in the world for truth and hope and not finding it, I want to invite you to find it in Jesus this morning. You're going to admit your need. You're going to acknowledge who he is, and you're going to invite him to come in your life. But, you know, really, it doesn't matter if this is day one of your spiritual journey or day 10,000 of your spiritual journey. The truth is still true. You find hope when you take your need to Jesus. So if you have a need you need to take to Jesus today, do that. You find hope when you let others help you. Maybe you've been here, you've been a believer for 50 years, but God, there's something hopeless in your world. And, and right now, you, you need the help of others. And maybe before you leave this room today, you need to go to a brother or sister in Christ and just say, would you pray with me about this? I'm, I'm stuck in a hopeless spot, and I, and I want to know God's hope in my life. And you need to open your life up to others and just let them pray for you this morning and help bring the light into that situation. If you need to do that, do that. You find hope when you receive and unwrap God's gift for you. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our world is a mess right now. Have you noticed that? It's just a mess. And if you focus on the world, your heart's going to be full of chaos and conflict and darkness. But if you focus on who God is, on what he's done for you and his plan for your life, then your heart's going to be filled with hope and light and peace and joy. And here's the deal. It's your choice. The remote for your heart and your head is in your hand. So I just got to ask you, what are you watching? What channel are you listening to? Because the choice is yours. If you're a believer this morning and you feel the need to really tap into God's hope in your life a little more, I want to give you a verse to work with this week. It's Romans 15, 13. Maybe you might just want to start every day this week by reading this verse, thinking about it, praying. It's a great verse to pray in the morning. It goes like this. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Not give you a little bit, not give you the smallest amount possible to get by, but fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to close this morning with uh, two prayers. The first prayer is if you're in that situation where you just want to put your hope in Jesus for the first time today. You want this to be the day one of your life that leads you eventually to a spot where you'll show up in that baptismal pool and say, I was trying to do life on my own, and then I found out who Jesus was, and I believed, and he changed my life. This could be your day. So I'll start with a prayer that direction, and then I'll pray for us old-timers who've been around here forever. If you're ready to become a Christian this morning, I invite you to just pray this prayer I'm going to lead you in. You can pray it in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. The Heavenly Father is listening and looking right now. He's going to hear every word you say to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the way and the truth and the life. Thank you for being the very Son of God who died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. Lord, I acknowledge and I confess my sin to you this morning. And I invite you. Come into my life. I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. 
Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for making me a part of your family this morning. And Father, we pray for those of us who are uh, the part of the family of God here at LCF. We've been around a while. We ask you to forgive us for the times that we've tried to find hope in things other than you. Lord, would you purify our hearts from the idolatry of chasing things other than you. Forgive us for times when we've been aloof, uncaring, self-sufficient, independent, distant from our brothers and sisters in Christ who are the very tools you often use to encourage our hearts and to show us your way. Help us to fully receive and unwrap the gift of salvation that you've given to us. Lord, you are the God of all hope, and we ask this morning that you would fill us with all joy and peace in believing that today we would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I sit down, let me just say one thing. If by chance you prayed that first prayer and you asked Christ into your heart today, I'm going to give you one more verse. It's Romans 10, 9. It says, if we believe in our heart and we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we are saved. So you have believed in your heart if you prayed that prayer. That means this is day one of your spiritual journey. But the verse says, don't stop there. Now declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you and invite you before you leave this room. Tell someone, declare with your mouth what Jesus has done. Tell a staff member, tell me, tell anyone you know who's a Christian. Just, uh, just say, you know, I, I prayed that. I, I became a Christian today. That's doing what it says here. It's declaring with your mouth that Jesus is Lord.